We are going to start a new series this morning for four weeks. And we are looking at a passage in Luke chapter 15. There is some discussion on Luke 15 on that is, is what happens is Jesus answers a question that he's asked. And depending on which person you read, some people believe that he answers with three parables. Some people believe that he answers with one parable with three dimensions to it. Some people break it up into four sections. We're actually going to look at it as three parables, three, three parables that he uses in answer to one question. And we're going to break it down as following. It's basically sometimes referred to as the parables of lost things. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about the lost sheep. The next week we'll talk about the lost coin. And then the lost son. You know the story is a prodigal son. But we're going to break it into two parts. We're going to talk about the two brothers, and then we're going to talk about the following week, the father. And so that's where we're going for, for four weeks, so you have an idea. So I'll have to go over the background every time a little bit just to give you a, a sense of it. But the Pharisees came to Jesus with a question, and that's how the whole section of the three parables start. There's a lot of unique things about those parables. Uh, some people see a progression in the parables. In a parable of the sheep, he loses one out of 100, so it's a 1% loss. And the coins, it's one out of, what, 10, basically. It's a 10% law. And the two brothers, it's a 50% law. So some people see a progression. Some people see the idea that in the lost sheep, the shepherd aggressively went out to find it because the shepherd knew right away it was lost. In the coin, the woman doesn't know. All of a sudden, she realizes, oh, I'm missing a coin. And in the, the parable of the lost son, the son purposely decides to leave. So there's a, there's a difference in the way that the things are lost in those different parables. This morning we're looking at the parable of the lost sheep. So let's read it, and then we're going to do a little background, and then we're going to talk about it so we, we can apply it. So here we go. It's in Luke chapter 15, and here's what it says. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, quote-unquote, were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of law muttered, and that's an important word. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Does he not leave 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay? So that's the story. Now, we, there's a whole bunch of things that we have to understand before we get into it. Let's go back to the whole thing that starts it. It says they were all gathered together. The Pharisees of the teacher of the law muttered. That word muttered in the Old Testament. Remember the story of the children of Israel and how they grumbled? Same idea. So there's actually kind of this little link to the Old Testament griping and grumbling of Israel. And he says, this was the accusation, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, you have to understand um, what they're concerned about. In the mind of the Pharisees, in the mind of the teacher law, they loved Jesus. Because here's why. Jesus took the Old Testament and was incredibly knowledgeable of the Old Testament. He loved the law, 
And anytime he would teach, he would talk about these Old Testament. They didn't like his application, but they liked the fact that he knew the Scriptures. And they were in love with the Scriptures. The Scriptures were really, really important to them. They got a little sidetracked with how they applied it, but the Scriptures were important. So they had this respect for Jesus. What they didn't like with Jesus was, you know, he, he went down roads that we didn't, we didn't like. Um, and one of the roads was who he hung with. Because you see, in their mind, they called these people, um, they called people who were not like they were, uh, let me find it here, just a second. They called them people of the land. And in their, in their world, you were not to associate with people of the land. In their world, to associate, in fact, their law taught that if one of them asked you to go on a journey, you were not to go with them. So in other words, if you had some friends who were, modern-day application, you had some friends who were not Christians said, hey, we're going to go to Black Hills, we're renting a cabin, we'd like your family to come along with us, the Pharisees would have said, don't go, because they're not people who believe like you believe. See, in their world, these people contaminated Jesus. Because in their world, here's how they believe. One of the statements that they made was, there is more joy in heaven over a sinner who is obliterated before God. In other words, in their culture, in their worldview, to when God wiped out your enemy, when your enemy died, that was a victory. So they loved the fact that other people than them died because they were their enemies. They looked at them that way. So here was their question. Their question is, and this is the question that the Pharisees are wrestling with. I got two cups of water up here, all right? Anybody know what this stuff is? If you do not know about this as a cooking thing, then you, you're missing something big time. Uh, this is going to be the next new popular thing. If you read Asian restaurants, Chinese restaurants, these, you will see these on the table. Uh, Mexican restaurants, you're going to see more and more of them. Uh, this is shiracha, shiracha. I don't know if I'm going to say it right. Shiracha sauce, yeah. It's a hot, chili, spicy sauce. It will enhance any cooking that you like. If you like hot, spicy things, you need to buy one of these. And they're for sale in the lobby at no. Uh, <clears throat> I add this to my meatballs. I've started adding this to the meatballs that I serve. I don't add a lot because this stuff is really, really spicy and hot. All right? But I'm going to use it as an illustration this morning. Let's say you're thirsty and you want a glass of water. And I say, just a second. Let me add a little sauce to it. And by the way, I tried this this morning. That cup was gone when I was done uh, because it, it adds a lot of kick to it. Now, here's my question. Do you want the water now? Why? Huh? Exactly right. It's contaminated, right? This changed what this was all about. And in the mind of the Jewish Pharisee and teachers of law, that's exactly what they believe. They believe that when people who are people of the land or people who were not of their belief system, sinners, tax collectors, and publicans, when those people got together and mixed with Christ, it contaminated him, and it contaminated his message. And if you'll think about it, earlier in the Scriptures, the people came to the, the, the disciples and said, why is it that you associate with them? Now, they've zeroed it in further, and they say, they're coming to Jesus and say, why do you associate with those people? 
I don't get why you hang with those people. You are contaminating your message. And that was their accusation. And that's the question Jesus has to answer. Jesus is trying to answer that, why is it that, how is it that I and those people can be together, and yet I maintain my holiness and purity, and yet they are still who they are? And I think it's interesting. They had invited him to eat with them, which tells me something of how they accepted him. They would listen to him. He had built a relationship with them. The Pharisees had not. They kept a distance between them. So when Jesus starts to associate in the mind of the Pharisee, this is what happened. Your, your message is now contaminated. Your teaching is now contaminated. How is it that you can be with those people? Now, Jesus then, in order to answer that, is going to go through this series of parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and, and the father who loses his son, the prodigal son story. <clears throat> in all of that, we, he starts with the parable of the lost sheep. And I think this is fascinating, and here's why. Why in the world would he choose this story to answer a question to the Pharisees? And here's why. In this culture, the people that he's talking to know all about shepherds and sheep. It's a common thing. It would be like me trying to give a farming illustration. Most of you in here would get it. Okay? You've been brought up around farming. These people were brought up around sheep. But the Pharisees, that was not true. To the Pharisees, a shepherd was an unclean person. To the Pharisees, they did not value shepherds or sheep herding or whatever. And here's why. Because those people were always out in the field, so they couldn't observe the holy days. They couldn't observe the Sabbath. They couldn't observe the holy feast days. So they were considered unclean people as a group. That's, by the way, why when Jesus Christ comes to this earth, who is the first group of people that the birth of Christ is mentioned to? And there were in the same country shepherds. Because God, even in the announcement of his birth, was making a statement to the world that although the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, see you as unclean, I do not. I see you as valued. And Jesus here chooses the story of a shepherd. Why? Why would he do that to the Pharisees? They're not going to get it. But remember what I said earlier? Pharisees are people of the students of the scriptures. So to a Pharisee, guess what is going to come to mind? The Old Testament stories about sheep and shepherds. Stories like this, Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Or Isaiah he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This would have come on. But I think the reason he chose this story first is because of Ezekiel. Listen to what Ezekiel said. And by the way, every Pharisee would have known this passage. Listen to the story. I myself will tend my sheep. I will have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong, I'll destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. This is what a Pharisee would have thought about. Not the shepherd motif. He would have thought about this passage 
where all of a sudden it's like, whoa, that sounds like Ezekiel. And he would have been making a very bold statement to these people about who and what he was all about. So with that in mind, it should give you a little bit of background to understand as we go into it to understand how they would have viewed this thing. So he tells them this story of the sheep. Uh, let's go back to Luke 15, guys. And where he says, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear him. Uh, tax collectors, we would think our modern-day terminology would be loan sharks, uh, people who are using the system or abusing the system to get more money from people. Uh, the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, again, Old Testament analogy of the grumbling of the children of Israel. And notice what they said, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And so Jesus told them this parable. He says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Now, in this culture, to be a shepherd, the whole key to being a shepherd was that you took good care of your sheep. It's just like being a farmer. You want to take good care of your livestock. Often, you were contracted. You were working for somebody else. So really, somebody else owned the sheep. You were kind of taking care of them. If an animal was lost, you would actually have to prove that that animal got taken away. So if some animal had killed it, you would have to produce the, the skins of the sheep and go, see, this is what's left. You had to account. Otherwise, as a shepherd, your reputation was at stake. So he tells a story here. He said, there's a shepherd. He's got 100 sheep. It loses one of them. It doesn't leave. He, does he not leave the 90 and 9 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And he says, look. If a shepherd's got 100 sheep and one's gone, he will leave those 99 in the open country and he will go find that sheep. And to the person who's sitting there, they're going, yep. And to the, to the, to the Pharisee, they're thinking, Ezekiel. That's, that's, that's what the story in Ezekiel is all about. And then he, go to, and, and he leaves them in a countryside and then he says, he goes, he finds it, and then what does he do? This is really important. This is, a, these, this is a theme that's going to come up in all of these stories. What is the first thing it says he does? What does it say? Notice, when he finds it, he what? Joyfully. Joyful rejoice is over and over again in all of these stories. There is a celebration associated with the finding of all these things. And he says, the first thing that he does is he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. I found my sheep. I found my sheep. He's, you know, he's all excited. And... He calls his friends and his neighbors together and says what? Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. And they have a celebration. It's a jab at the Pharisees because if they're criticizing him for being with publicans and sinners, what are they ultimately saying? That they're not his friends. They're not rejoicing with him in what he's doing. And so notice what he goes on to say. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. All right, this is a little confusing because here's a question for you. Are the 99 saved or lost? Huh? There's the key. They don't think they need to repent. This is an unusual language in the scripture. We have it in English, if you'll think about it for a minute. If I say, I'm, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse, and, and, and we, we write that down, and 2,000 years from now, somebody's reading my sermons, and they say, now, 
What this really meant is that he was so hungry that he went home and slaughtered a horse and started to eat it. No, it's a phrase that we use. In the same way, this is a phrase. Um, As an example, uh, I wrote one from a teacher's perspective. What if a teacher said this? What if a teacher said, I am more pleased with a student who studies diligently than I am with those who think they have all of the answers. I'm more pleased with a student who studies diligently than I am with those who think that they have all the answers. Question, is that teacher pleased with the ones who think they have all the answers? No. No. To say that I'm more pleased with this one than this group, in the way of the language is written, the irony of the language is, no, she's not pleased, or he's not pleased with those groups who think they know it all. He's saying he's more pleased, and that's exactly what this passage is saying. It's Jesus saying, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one person who repents, one sheep who's lost, who repents, than there is over 99 who don't think they need God or repentance. Remember who he's talking to. And by the way, it, it fits a whole lot better with the story because if you say that those 99 were saved, then you've got to say, well, then the one was saved and got lost and had to get brought back, and it was like a losing a salvation. There's all kinds of problems with it. So it fits very well with the story. The 99 are really people who represent the Pharisees who don't think they need God. They think they got it all figured out. And Jesus looks at them and says, let me tell you something. There is more joy over that one. And again, if you're going back to Ezekiel chapter 38, what's going to happen to those 99? It's going to be destroyed. So now they're really, really thinking hard about what he's going to say. So this is a very, very important story that he lays out with. All right, so, uh, and then the last part of it is the idea that they're rejoicing. They have this incredible celebration. Um, and they would have. It, it would have been a, a huge deal to celebrate like that. So let's talk about what we apply. First thing, notice the desire of the shepherd to go find that one sheep. I don't know what you believe about you and God and all of that kind of thing, but let me just put it to you as bluntly as I can. God seeks and is seeking you to be his child. And he has been on a pursuit since the day you were born for you to become his child. You know, you don't understand what I've done. doesn't matter. You don't understand how much God loves you. But, you know, I got a lot of questions. doesn't matter. You don't know how much the shepherd seeks to find you so that you can come to him. And until you take your last breath, he will continue to pursue you. We could sit in here all day and tell the stories of how God pursued us to get us into his fold as a Christian. And there are, there are literally story after story after story in here of what God did to bring you to Christ. And for some of you, it was as a kid, For some of you, it was an adult. Some of you can clearly see how God worked to bring you to where you are today. Some of you, you don't have that story, but you need to know that story is being written right now. That God is pursuing you, and God does want you to to trust him. And God does not want you to be that 99 who don't think that, that you need him. You need him. And he'll do everything in his power to help you understand that you need him. And so, you know, one of the things you learn in this story right away is the care that the shepherd has for everyone. 
And for those of you that have not put your faith and trust in Christ, that's the message I would say to you. That God genuinely loves you and wants you to put your trust and faith in him. I think there's a lesson in here for those of us that are part of his flock as well. And that is this. What did the shepherd have to do to go and find the one sheep? Here's a principle. You have to leave one thing to go and find and pursue that other thing. Let me say it again. You leave one thing that you're comfortable with to go and pursue something where it's not as comfortable, where it's a lot more uncomfortable, but you leave one thing to pursue another thing. This is what happens, and and I get the dynamic. I get what happens when you put your faith and trust in Christ. Here's the normal progression. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you get excited about the Christian life, you want to hang around Christians. So let's let this side of the stage represent Christian people. So you get around Christian people and you get excited and you learn and you grow and everything else. And then the next day is Monday, you go into the world and you're over here. And you got all these friends that you had over here. So you go about your week and you keep interacting with these people. But you know what? It's not the same as that group. So then on Sunday, you come back over to this group, and you get all excited and everything else, and then you say, hey, look, how about let's go to lunch one day this week? Okay, great. So you get a Christian person, you meet them sometime during the week, but during the week, you're over here with this group, and guess what? You just don't feel as comfortable. And this group's a little more critical and a little more negative and a little more down, and, 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 and it just gets harder. And then you go back here, and you get recharged, and then eventually, here's what happens. <clears throat> you start to get very uncomfortable with this group. Because this group isn't meeting the need that you have in your life right now. So where do you spend all your time? Over here. And what you'll find is the longer you go as a Christian, the smaller that group gets. That's the normal progression. Okay, That's the normal process of it. One of the things I think in the story that you see is the shepherd leaves this group to go and find that one person over here that one sheep over here. That's the challenge I have for you guys today. That's the challenge I think for us is that, you know what? I get this. I really do. But we have got to be careful about being here all the time. Uh, I tried to think of a way to illustrate it, and then I came up with the most common thing in our world. These are cell phones. The original, oh, I got a text message. No. Um, oh, there's a red box freebie this week. Um, anyway, <clears throat> I, this is my cell phone. Now, I, I, am, I, oh, oh, no. uh, I am of the old school. Old school means this. The reason I possess this phone is so I can call you, not so you can call me. Okay? I'm old school. This phone is for me. Okay, I have an answering machine at the house 24-7. That's for you to call me. You want to get old me? That's the best way to do it. You leave a message. Well, I don't like leaving a message. Then you're not going to talk to me. Because I don't, I, you know, I, I check that thing all the time. That's what tethers me to all of the stuff. You might. This is like playing the lottery in my world. You might get a hold of me on, the, on a cell phone once in a while. Uh, but I, th- that's my world. Okay, that's how I do it. Now, here's, here's, my, here's how my cell phone deal works. I take this phone and I go about, so like today, I unplugged it, 
I take it with me all day. Not really today, because I'm going to leave it most on my counter most of the day. But I take it with me when I go somewhere, and then I come home, and it sits on the counter. And when it's on the counter, I usually do this. I take it, and I plug it in. And the reason I plug it in is because I don't have an eternal battery on it. And I charge it up. And then what am I going to do tomorrow? When I get ready to leave the house, I'm going to unplug it, and I'm going to take it with me, and it's going to go out in the world with me all everywhere that I go. And if I have a really busy day, I might have to char charge it in my car because the battery gets down. I might have to do those kinds of things to it. And then at the end of the day, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come back home, and I'm going to plug it into my charger, and I am going to let it sit overnight, and I'm going to get up the next day, and what am I going to do? Unplug it. Gonna... Listen, that's the Christian walk. That's the Christian walk in a nutshell. You cut. Oh, yeah, this has a battery in it. Yeah, this has a battery in it. And I can actually buy the big battery with this thing, but I wanted it as small as possible. Go home and Google bag phone. All right? And there are some of us that actually had one of those. And, and, uh, yeah, yeah, no, go home and Google bag phone. You'll follow me on this. <laughs> That's what we used to carry. Some of us remember bag phones. This is incredible. So, but that's what happens. So what happens? I charge it up, and then I take it with me throughout the day, and then when I get home, when, and I let the battery run down, and then I charge it back up. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be like. We come in here on Sunday, you know what we're doing? We're charging ourselves up. That's why my primary goal each Sunday when I walk in here is to try to charge you, to get you challenged, to get you to think about how to apply God in your world this week. You charge it up, and you go out into the world all week long. Now, I know that that alone is not going to hold you. So we challenge you to listen to Christian Radio, to, to watch do whatever it is you want to watch that will encourage you. We challenge you to read your Bible on your own. We challenge you to do those kinds of things, to recharge yourself up during the week, and then you can come back in here and you can get recharged again to be able to go back into the world. But here's the idea. We don't want you to get to the point that this is your whole world. We want you to leave this to go out into this because this is where the work is. This is where the world needs Christ. I get this is comfortable. I get that this is encouraging. I get that this, is, this fulfills a great need. But this is not where we want to live. We need to be able to reach into our community. We need to have an influence there. About four or five years ago, I went to our board and I said, for, for a long time here, for about 10 years, I was bivocational. What that meant is I had a job and I did this. And then the church got to a size it couldn't do that anymore. And my great fear started to come true. My great fear was that I ended up all in the Christian world, helping Christian people. So a number of years ago, I went to the board and I said, look, I said, that's what I'm doing. I said, all my time spent with Christian people. And I asked the board, I said, is it okay with you guys if I have the freedom to start getting involved in the community because I would feel guilty if, for instance, I'm doing a 4-H thing and I got somebody in the hospital. And I needed their permission in my own head to be able to go, we see being involved in whatever it is, 4-H, community, whatever it is, as important as ministering to church people. And they gave me that freedom because that's what they wanted to see too. That's what we wanted to do as a church. So now... I try to split so that I'm not finding myself always spending all my time over here. Because in all honesty, this is a whole lot easier. 
So now people call and say, hey, can you meet? And I go, you know what, I can't because I got another meeting going on that night. And the meeting might be something that has nothing to do with church, but it's because I'm trying to make a difference or have an impact out here. And what I'm trying to get at, and most of you live out here most of the week, and so you really love this when you get to do it. I get that. But what I'm afraid that happens too many times is when we get over here, we're afraid to say something. And we're afraid to, to, to take advantage of those opportunities. And we're afraid to be able to share Christ with other people. And let me tell you something, they need it. You don't have to be obnoxious about it. You just need to be that strong testimony that, you know, my goal, when I get involved in community stuff, my goal actually, and it's getting harder and harder, but my goal is to not let them know I'm a pastor. To me, it's like a game. How long can I go before they find out I'm a pastor? Because I want them to accept me as a person, not as a position. So even when I introduce myself, I don't say, hi, I'm Pastor Jim. I say, my name's Jim Thomas. Because I'm trying to convey that idea. I'm involved in as Jim Thomas, not as pastor. And I, and I want to challenge you that, that you've got to get out of where you're comfortable. You have to step out into those kinds of things where it's like, man, I'm just not so comfortable over here. And it's, yeah. I get it. But what's really going to happen when you do that? Here's what I learned. I can't depend on myself anymore. Because this is a really uncomfortable world. Let me break it down for even more. You know what that means? That means that when we get over into here and we get into organizations like Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, that kind of thing, you're going to have to step out and say, you know, I'll lead a group. When they're going, hey, we need a coach or we need an assistant coach, you go, okay, I'll do it. That means, Rod and I, we were talking about that this morning before church, you know, when there's a track and field day at school, you volunteer and go, I'll help. It means that you do things like that to step in and have an impact to be able to reach that, if you will, lost sheep and befriend them. And then you can rejoice over what God's done. And I, Christ tried to illustrate, again, that's a, that's a level for us, but the, the illustration is the same. Christ is saying, look, I care about those that are lost. They're important to me. And the shepherd will step out of where he's comfortable with this 100 sheep, 99 sheep, to go find that one because it has value. I guarantee you there's one in your world this week. Don't know who it is, but I guarantee you there's at least one. I guarantee you, you will rub shoulders this week with somebody. God will see to it. Let him use you. And then notice what he says at the end. What do they do? When he finds it, what do they do? They rejoice. I'm not good at this. Yeah, anybody who knows me knows that. I'm not good at celebration. My issue is accomplishment, checked off, move on refocus, go to the next accomplishment. That's me. I don't do, I don't do parties well. Okay? I, I don't celebrate things enough. I'm trying. We tried to do it. Josh graduated last weekend. We tried to celebrate. Yet last uh, Friday night was Aaron. You know, we're trying to do more and more of that. I'm trying to get better at it. But I just have a hard time because I'm, I'm one of those that's, I just, I'm task-oriented. It's like, okay, task done, checked off, move to the next task. And I'm learning, trying to learn, 
You need to take time to celebrate what God has done and what you see done. One of the things we're going to see in this passage over and over again is celebration. One of the things in this church I miss, we used to have testimonies every week. You know what testimonies were? Celebrating what God's doing in our lives. So I'm going to try this summer to figure out some way to fit it in. Don't know how. I don't know how. But we're going to figure out some way to do it because we need to get back to it. I, I need to get back to it in my own life, and I'm, I'm struggling with it. But one of the things that you see here is they rejoice. They celebrate what God's been doing. We need to get back to the point that we're celebrating. We're talking to each other about what God's doing in our lives and get back to how we see God at work. So one of the things in this story that you see is how all of that plays out together. So my challenge to you this week is, first of all, if you're one of those that's lost, God cares, and he's going to pursue you until the day you die. He loves you that much. For those of you that are Christians, step out of the box. I get you've got your world. I get you've got your circle. Here's a great way to do it. You go volunteer teach Sunday school class. Well, I don't know anything about it. You'll learn really fast. And you'll come back and go, that wasn't so bad. Learn to, learn to find ways. Go to your coach and say, go to a coach in one of your kids' ball games or some other team and say, I'll help you coach. I'll take care of all the snacks. I'll take care of this. I'll make this my ministry. I'll make this my thing. Find somebody in your community that you can go and reach out to. Find some way to step out of your box to be able to have a ministry to help somebody else this week. Enrich somebody else's life in you living out your life this week. And then celebrate. Celebrate some of the things God's doing. Rejoice over some of the things that, that you see God accomplishing in lives. Uh, one of the reasons some of you enjoy graduation parties so much is because you get to sit down, talk, and fellowship. You know, that's kind of what we should be doing anyway, isn't it? Isn't it? And we're going to do the same thing. Our life and I have already talked. We're going to open up our home again this year on, on Wednesday nights and, and do that again because we had so much fun last year doing it. And, and we enjoyed it. We enjoyed having that time together. Do that. Open it up to somebody, to bring somebody. Go out to eat with a, with a coworker this week. Take them to lunch. Just learn about their world. Step out of that box. Leave that 99, so to speak, to go and minister that one. That's the example our Savior set. So I close with it this way. If you've not been found by Christ, may this be the day that you follow him. May each of us step out of our box and seek those who are wondering and struggling. May God use each of us this week. We give him the honor and the glory and the praise for it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Help us, use us. Guide, direct us. Lord, <clears throat> you genuinely cared for us. And it's easy for us to get wrapped up in our world, in our community, in our circle, in our stuff. And the Lord kind of want to be plugged in all the time and not, not, not get into the world and, and, and really be a difference and, and be a light and a testimony. So Lord, help us to be able to do that this week. For those who have not trusted you, Lord, would they come to understand that you genuinely love and care for them? And God, for each of us this day, would you use us? 
Would you be honored and glorified, Lord, in our lives? 